Well, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level, exclusively now a part of the SU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University, and definitely excited to once again introduce our co-host for today's show, Pastor Chris Durso. Man, Chris, you, uh, you've you been a part uh, here at Southeastern for quite a long time. You've been a great friend, yep. and just great to have you here. And of course, you uh, are senior pastor at Saints Church in New York, uh, an honor to always welcome you on the podcast. Man, thank you for having me back. I mean, they say it's one thing to be invited once, but to be invited back, that's a that's a privilege. Well, so thank we're, you. We're so grateful to have you invest in our in our students. Hey, you know, you're no stranger to uh, our university. You've been with us now for multiple conferences, so it's great to have family back with us. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, I'm excited for today's podcast because I know you're a, a leading voice when it comes to a lot of the issues and challenges facing the local church, uh, whether it be the cancel culture or racial injustice. I know that you're willing to speak up uh, for the change that needs to happen in the world. And before we dive into those issues, let me ask you this. How, um, how, and we talked a little bit about this before we started the podcast, but how has it been pastoring a church through the middle of a pandemic, especially where you're located? It has. It has been easy. No, no, it's been. It's been <laughs> extreme. Yeah, piece of cake. Walk in the park. Um, it's funny. I, I said to the church the other day because, you know, I just always go back to I did over a decade of youth ministry, and man, that that was difficult. This this is easy. When the truth is, I only I only took the role uh, to take on my parents' church in January of 2020. So the end of January, we're eight weeks in, and then all of a sudden, boom, pandemic hits, and now we're completely virtual. Uh, so I feel like I feel like this first year has been so unique for me because I've only been eight weeks live with the church, and now everything has been virtual, which, if we're being honest, there are a lot of different emotions, sure. right, that just come back and forth. Are they with me? How are they doing? What's going on? And it's been... It's been interesting. I got to say, I'm very proud of our church. Uh, They have stepped up in so many different ways from small group to engaging. Uh, We are not the church that was set up for this. We were not a virtual church. We had a live stream service at our second service on a Sunday, but didn't really pay attention to it. So now the focus is on all things virtual and setting it up that way. And I feel good in that regard, um, in regards to what's been going on in our world and leading a church in Queens, New York, the most diverse place on the planet. It has been quite the challenge. Um, but at the same time, I thank God for his word because his word gives us everything we need uh, in order to respond to each and every part of it, whether it's a pandemic or racism. How did uh, so you were, as you said, you weren't set up. How did you change to the virtual format and get the church to adapt in that environment? What was that process like? Yeah, I thank God for agility. I thank okay. God for creativity. And uh, my, the team came around and we just said, hey, we can't procrastinate. We need to get on this now. Um, and that's what we did. We just shifted quick. I don't think there was much time to strategize. Um, it felt more like responding. It felt very reactive. Um, but it feels like we reacted the right way. In fact, when I first found out about the pandemic and before we actually went into quarantine but knew it was about to happen, uh, me and the team went into the church and we filmed 11 services hmm. and we, we filmed 11 sermons and 11 worship sets and 11 offerings and all those pieces. Now, we never got to them because it felt irrelevant after the third week with everything going on in our world. But the fact that we did it, it felt great. I mean, it felt great to be able to dive in and to try to set up for it. And then we started to record week of. 
and we had so many different spaces. We used my home, we used different spaces uh, in our building, our children's space, our sanctuary. I mean, just trying to, to keep it fresh so it just didn't become predictable. Yeah, now, are you going to be able to have face-to-face anytime soon? Where's where's that? So we've used this time uh, to renovate our building. Our building is over 20 years old. It was an old theater, beautiful, a lot of character, but definitely needed the update. So we've used this time to do that, and hopefully we are able to reopen uh, the week before Palm Sunday. Okay, uh, wow. So that we could start being at, we're allowed to be at 50% now, okay. um, which is exciting because yeah. it was, you know, 20, then 30, but now 50. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're shooting for that. Let me ask you this. What have you uh, learned about the church and about your leadership through this process? What I learned about the church, especially for me and my coming from where I come from, the church is resilient. Mm. The church is beautiful. You know, I think New Yorkers get a lot of credit for being in your face, go after it. But when I look at the church globally, I think the, the church has a lot of New York in them. They, yeah. they, they did not back down to the fight. They, they stepped up. They didn't close up shop and said, we're not going to do church. They said, no, we're going to rise up. And whether that's been in an urban, suburban, rural area, I've seen everyone step up. And I think it's been very encouraging. Um, when I think of the church, I think now... I think we learned a big lesson <laughs> that we needed to be prepared, that you can do church virtually, that people can be encouraged and, and engaged. And I don't even know when we go back, if we completely go back to how things were. I think we learned a lot in this sure. season of, of virtual gathering, whether that be in Grove Track or small groups or uh, whatever it may be. But yeah, I think the church has stepped its game up big time. And what would what advice would you give pastors who are growing weary right now in this season? And they're yeah, they're struggling through. Yeah. Through, what do you say to them? You know, I had, a, I had a moment just two weeks ago. It felt like, are we ever going to get out of this? Mm. And I think we've all had those moments, right? Like, are we ever going to get out of this? And then I realized we are, right? No season is forever. That's why it's a season. And I would just remind every pastor, every leader, every every brilliant sermon that they've preached about seasonal trials. This is exactly that. So we're living out those sermons. And now we get to say that we're living examples of it. And now that our whole world has gone through it together, what we are able to bring into uh, the conversation is our own experience and the fact that we made it, the fact that we, we remained faithful. Yeah. You know, faithfulness has been on my heart so much lately. It's what I've been talking to our church about. It's what I've been challenging our team on. And I just think there's something so beautiful to to now have our own modern day stories of real trials and right. real tribulations yeah. as opposed to simply re- relying on a, a Bible story and exegeting the text. But now, now we're living it. Lived it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, 2020, my mm. goodness, showed how divided we truly are as a nation. Yep. It appears as though 2021 might just do the same. Um, Cancel culture has become a norm in our society. Instead of respecting uh, uh, people and their differing uh, opinions, it's easier to just cancel those that we don't agree with, don't care for their message. It's a norm in our society, and it's slowly – actually, I I think it's slowly creeping its way into the church. Um, Can you talk to us about how you navigate – Speaking um, God's truth in a society that is so eager to cancel you. You know, I've I've only been pastoring now a little bit over a year. Um, But before all that, I've been blessed and privileged to be able to travel and see so many different churches and sit with so many pastors, pastors of large ministries, small ministries. And 
what I've noticed is this common theme that when I get with pastors over the year, they'll talk about the, the conversation that the people in their church want to talk about. Mm-hmm. The, and it, it could just be a handful of people, but it's usually right the smallest group of the loudest voices. Sure. And what we've, what we've seen in that is, is people try to figure out, should I respond to them? Should I even respond to them or not? And in those moments, they weren't responding because mm. they were like, you know what? Our, we're going to keep building our church. It's annoying, but I'm going to keep going. In this season, because it's 2020, 2021, people feel like they have to respond. respond. And what I would encourage leaders is respond, but don't be persuaded to say what they want you to say. We have the Word of God. We, right. we have everything we need, the Bible, uh, and especially in the New Testament, we have all this, this kingdom lifestyle, kingdom living 101, and that's what Jesus did. He ran into culture. He didn't run away from culture, but He stood on His Word, and I would encourage every leader just to stand on the Word of God and speak to this idea of kingdom, not culture, not in the sense of, well, I need to, I need to say what the right wants me to say or what the left wants me to say. When I say what the Word of God wants me to say, it takes care of all of it. And, 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 and I mean, yeah, that's a powerful solution. But ultimately, what do you think it's going to take for us to kind of eradicate that, if you will, um, that culture, that cancel culture? Um, it's just displaying love. It's the word. What else is important? You know, I think that as, as the church, we have to be, we have to show grit. We have to show our willingness to have conversations. Right. We have to show our willingness to to be uh, empathetic to real hurt and real needs. I think it is silly for any pastor, any any leader of the faith, to to hear someone share their emotions and say, "Oh, that's not true." You can't say that. You can never yeah. argue with someone's emotions. You could argue with their theology. You could argue with their disposition, but you can never argue someone's emotions. At the same time, at the same time, I think we as leaders need to stay in charge. If I were to come over to your house for a dinner party, there might be certain rules. You might tell people where to sit. You might ask them to take off their shoes. Why? Because when I step into your house, there's a customary way of doing things. I think that we have to have that same mindset in the church. There's a certain way we go about doing these things. But here's what we're not going to do. We're, we're not going to start canceling people and we're not going to start canceling groups of people all because what they said was offensive or it offended you. The gospel is offensive. We, right. We've gotten into this to help people out of their offense. So the moment I start canceling someone because I don't agree with them, I nullify the gospel. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you say to someone that thinks that scripture is irrelevant to issues that people are facing today? I would say they don't understand scripture. Hmm. And, I, and I, I don't say that tongue in cheek. I say that reverently and respectfully. I, the word of God is timeless. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has set us up for everything we need. That's why from Genesis to Revelation, Revelation hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. Uh, we're on our way towards that. And I think when you truly understand it and read it, that's why... That's why Southeastern universities of the world are so important because I could come and I can get an understanding and a handle on scripture. I think it is easy to be flippant. And the reason why that happens is because everybody has a smartphone right. and there are people right. that make videos and they'll yeah. say things like, well, this word was not introduced into the Bible until the 1800s, which means the Bible never spoke on it. And you could say, well, sir, ma'am, you should reread your Bible because although that word was not introduced in the Bible until the 1800s, the topic and the idea has been addressed in the Bible since the very beginning. And what happens is people start trying to um, pigeonhole or pick and choose what they think is there and what they think isn't because somebody made an eloquent video. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, another issue um, that the world is facing is the social injustice issue. It's no secret that we're still dealing with uh, racism and yeah. inequality in our country. Uh, I, I loved, uh, I, I saw a tweet that you, I believe it was January 29th, that you, uh, you said, the gospel takes care of social justice, but social justice yeah. doesn't take care of the gospel. Um, and, and, you know, we need to run, and it was, we need to run after social justice. The gospel commands it, but it can't stop there. Our mission towards social justice has to lead to salvation. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us about the heart behind that? What, what drove you with that? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to that previous question that you just asked. I think people think that social justice is the new gospel as if, as if there wasn't racial tension in the Bible and there wasn't prejudice in the Bible and if there were, weren't uh, different, different classes in the Bible, it's all there. And if we just simply make this about stopping a group or silencing a voice, but we do not see that voice saved or see that group saved, we missed it. Jesus died for all people. And I think that's the part that both the left and the right need to understand. He died for all people. So when you're chanting hardcore, he's not just standing there with you going, yep, you're right. He's looking at the people that you might be chanting against and your chant might be right. However, he's not looking at them uh, with disgust or disdain. He's looking at them with compassion and saying, those are my children. They don't know that I love them. They don't know that, that they need me. They're so caught up in what they're caught up in. And that's really what it's about. It's about the heartbeat of God, right? Paul writes, it is the love of Jesus that compels me. It's not the anger of injustice, but it's the love of Jesus. Jesus left the the right-hand side of the Father, came to earth, lived on earth for 33 years, died, not only died for me, but died as me, resurrected so that I could be saved. It was not, it wasn't anger and and frustration and prejudice that drove him to to earth. It was the fact that people were missing the mark. People on the left were missing the mark and people on the right were missing the mark, which really missing the mark is what? Sin. People were so caught up in their sin that they were making it about things. Hey, let me me get you to the right mark. And that mark is me. It's Jesus. That's good. What role... um what role should church play in bringing racial r- reconciliation to our world? And, and how do you encourage church leaders to be a part of the solution in this issue? Well, I love that question. I, I think we should be leading the conversation. I, I think it's embarrassing that we might be late to the game. I, I think it's embarrassing that we will talk about the things that personally bother us as opposed to the things that generally bother the world. Those are two different things. I think in this season, I think in 2021, because the church is late to the game, not every church, but a good amount of the churches uh, in our world are late to the conversation. I think that it's okay for those churches to say, hey, we just got here. Yeah, I'm so sorry. What do we need to learn? Leaders are so used to giving direction. That's what leaders do. We tell people uh, how to do things, the right way to do it. We, we give them direction. We give them leadership. But man, you know what's beautiful in leadership? Humility. Yeah. Saying, I don't know how to get there. I really want to get there. Right. Can Can someone help me oh, get there? Because sure. that's actually what the best leaders do. The right. best leaders don't just charge and tell people where to go. The best leaders surround themselves with other leaders that will help them get there. And I think the best leaders uh, right now need to rise up in the church and say, hey, how do we get there? I, this is this is the complete opposite of the culture I grew up in. I don't understand this. I'm yeah. from a small town. We've never behaved like this. I don't get it. Teach me. 
Yeah. And, and listening. Listening plays a key role in Man, that, doesn't it? Big time. Yeah, and you you hear stories, and you you set t- you you take the time to create a relational framework that understands their context, understands their issues, their challenges, so that you can create a way that will uh, bring truth to their hearts and to their lives. There's no doubt about that. Um, we're going to move into our fire rack because I know we got to. Yeah, you're about ready to go and speak, and I want you to be ready and and do that. So I'm gonna. Uh, this is a great conversation, and I just want to tell you that I appreciate your your voice and and what I would call you have this compassionate tenacity. You used the word earlier. That's what you have. Um, yeah, your heart you. comes through, but you are <laughs> you've got great zeal in 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 reflecting um, the heart of Christ uh, for people. And, and I just I, love I that about that. you. Thank you. So, thank you. Thank you. As we move into this fire round, as you know, we always ask some some questions, and we just want you to give us your gut and. Whatever comes at the top of your head, and uh, okay. I'm going to ask you about five, five of them here. So here we go. How do you maintain your integrity as a leader? Accountability. Have real friends around you where you could have honest, real conversations. That's good. How do you grow in confidence when speaking out on a difficult issue? Step out and don't step back. Yeah. Know what you're going to say before you say it. Make sure that it's rooted in the Word of God, and then stay there. People will combat you. Um, that's what they do. But just don't don't change your footing. What would you say to someone who wants to be an agent of change, mm-hmm. uh, yet doesn't know where to start? I think if you don't know where to start, I think you go, which, what are the needs closest to me? Because there are needs everywhere, but what needs are in my reach? So if you, if you know that there's a homeless person in your community, or if you know someone that might be suicidal, if you know someone that has been uh, disrespected or marginalized, just run towards them. And yeah. then and then educate yourself. Yeah. Uh, learn from those that are already doing it. Uh, f- learn, look for internships. Um, yeah, dive right in. Uh, last question. What can you continually do to elevate your leadership influence? Listen to this podcast and listen to you <laughs> regularly uh, to make sure that we're, uh, we're sharpening our skills and make sure that we're listening to voices that have actually built something. You know, for me, it... It is humbling, and I, this isn't just this isn't just hyperbole. Like I'm sitting here with you. You are the president of an incredible university. I have not accomplished that much. So for me to be answering your questions feels a little bit backwards. Everything in me wants to start asking you all the questions <laughs> because you actually have the proof. And I would actually say that I think it's important especially in this day and age where everyone has a camera and everyone has a microphone and they think that's enough. I would say, man, where's the proof? What have, right, what have you right. built? Not in a mean way, but like what have you built to give yourself that, that authority to speak so boldly? Because I've learned that the, the greatest leaders in the room are, are the best listeners. Yeah, They're not absolutely. so quick to tear down. They, they listen. They lean in. Yeah, that is so good. Well, wow. Love our conversations every time we get together and have a chance to interact. And uh, thank you for being on this podcast. Grateful for your insight uh, that you've provided uh, to so many. And if you want to stay up today with Chris uh, and all he's doing, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Durso, as well as Saints uh, Church website, saintschurch.com. Hey, that's all we have for today's episode. For more content, head over to kenengel.com where you can check out the latest blog and articles. Also, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, at Kent underscore Engel, and Twitter, at Kent Engel. See you next time on Framework Leadership. Take care. Take care.